This episode is brought to you by ProMensal. It's frightening to have hair just everywhere, but the key here is it should stop. Welcome to Thriving in Menopause, brought to you by Prevention Magazine. I'm Andrea Duval, editor of Prevention, and today we're chatting about the changes that can happen to our hair during menopause. I'm joined by trichologist Carolyn Evans-Frost from Absolique Hair Clinic in Brisbane. Carolyn, thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you. Wonderful to be here. Well, I was just going to say, I know you're especially passionate about helping women with hair loss problems, and hair loss is much more than a medical condition, isn't it? When you're seeing people, it's quite a psychological issue as well, I imagine. Absolutely. Like, as females, it is part of us, what makes us our hair. And even sometimes their family and friends just tell them, no, no, everything's fine, it it looks okay, but they know in themselves that something about their body has changed and they just need to be listened to. And I guess it's also, it's a sign, like the changes in your hair, your skin and your nails, they're all outward signs of something's not quite right within. So it's really important for women, don't let someone tell you that nothing's wrong. You know, don't ignore the signs. So let's start by saying some hair loss is normal, right? So we all lose hair every day. So our hair is in a cycle of growing, resting and falling. So the number is per day between 70 and 160 hairs. Okay, so we just say on average we will lose 100 hairs a day. And we see it in our brush, you know, you see a little bit in the shower, but you won't be noticing it on your clothes on the floor. You're not gathering loads and loads of hair. So when you notice more hair, that's what we call telogen effluvium. Telogen's the falling phase per se, of the hair cycle, and then you get double the daily hair loss. So for some people, that could look like 300 hairs a day. It's frightening. Yeah. Like it's happened to me, you know, and I, I, I study this. I know it. I knew I was going to, it was going to happen. I stopped some medication. Three months later, you get the dread shed. It's frightening to have hair just everywhere. But the key here is it should stop. It normally will last for three months if it's triggered by um, a health condition or surgery or, as I said, some types of medications can trigger it. Uh, It'll fall for three months. Okay, so hair is non-essential. Well, the body thinks it's non-essential. It's only protecting the skull. So when the body's in an emergency state, it releases you know, that hair. I think a lot of us even had that during COVID, you know, when when we were first put into lockdown, that stress, I'm sure, created a problem. I know certainly for me, I, I was aware of it. But let's talk about uh, perimenopause and thinning hair in that instance. So perimenopause is a time when things are changing in our body. So hair thinning is not hair loss. Because okay, so hair loss is one thing. And a lot of women have had or do have or are experiencing hair loss. And then on top of that, coming into perimenopause, so there's a hormonal type of thinning. It's called female pattern hair thinning. It only happens at the front. So it happens in our recession. So we've got these little um, sort of areas on the, the sides and triangles of our head. They're our baby hairs. We all have them. They will never grow up. And it's our hairline and the hairline at the front or all around the hair is the thinnest area of hair on our entire head and it's right above our eyes. So we see it. So pattern thinning 
scientifically only ever happens in the front, recessions, top. I'm seeing it come down in the sides and on the crown. So this is the key is it's not all over your head. Okay, so when you have the hair loss, it's diffusely all over the head. Pattern thinning is only in those areas. Now, just say you have had hair loss during COVID because of the stress and you then come into perimenopause, you get this hormonal trigger and it triggers the miniaturization of the female pattern thinning on top of something you didn't even know you had. Okay, so it can happen perimenopause because it's driven by hormones. If you do see this, I guess the the normal thing is to go and perhaps discuss it with your doctor. But there is another way that doesn't necessarily involve medication, and that is to go to someone like you, a trichologist. What is the difference between what you do and what a dermatologist or a doctor would do? So let's start with the doctor. The doctor's there to help with health, things that are going to harm you and you know, potentially damage you. So, again, hair, they look at you and say, well, okay, it might be thinning, but you've still got hair. So it's just not taken seriously. Uh, a dermatologist, they're more of a skin specialist, okay? They do help with some types of pattern hair thinning, but they tend to use more medical-type treatments which address symptoms. Now, what I find is women, when they eventually find a trichologist, they're not addressing the underlying causes. So they're using things that, one, can cause more hair loss, which is just tragic when you're going through this, and they're things that they may have to use forever, okay? And a lot of women don't like being tied to that, and I, I totally agree. So the good news is we can protect against it and we can actually do it in a natural way, in a healthful way. And, you know, when we spoke recently, we said we can work with women perimenopause to have the best health so they breeze through menopause. They shouldn't be suffering. We'll be right back after this. Perimenopause can actually start in your 40s. Declining estrogen production during perimenopause brings on changes to menstrual cycles and often the onset of hot flushes, night sweats, mood swings and sexual problems. Promensal Peri is specifically designed for perimenopausal women and can help relieve these common menopausal symptoms. Promensal Peri is available at leading pharmacies across Australia and offers a cost-effective treatment at under $1 a day. When things start to change, try Promensal Peri. Always read the label and follow the directions for use. Okay, we're back. But the same things that we do to help hair and protect the hair, say something as simple as vitamin D, we need to have a sufficiency of vitamin D and they found through COVID we don't. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we live in a country which is quite sunny most of the time when it isn't raining. And so we think, oh, we're getting vitamin D. But the evidence, the research shows that 30% of Australian adults are vitamin D deficient. We're doing safe sun and I really encourage people to do safe sun, but we're covered, we're protected. So the science is that the vitamin D needs to get on your skin, exposed skin, but it also needs to stay there for 48 hours for it to absorb. And we shower every day. I'm not saying don't, but I'm just saying you need to check your vitamin D and make sure that you know the proper level because I also find that a lot of um, in the blood tests, and this is, you know, doctors again, I don't blame the doctors, 
pathology writes there like a, a reference range. Okay, so they say if your vitamin D is above 49, you're fine. But the number came out through cancer research and uh, COVID, it's 150. So if you're just above 49 and you've got female pattern thinning in your perimenopause, you're going to have symptoms. Okay, so my job and the difference of what I sort of do is I look really deeply at underlying causes. Another big thing I found, I find for women and COVID is B12, vitamin B12. It's a huge reference range, meaning it's 150 to 811. That's the range. Okay, so if you're at 151, you're deemed in range, so you're fine. But I'm like, well, that's the lowest end of the range. Now, a lot of people were like that coming into COVID. Now, vitamin B12 is your stress receptor, right? Oh, <laughs> you add okay. all that stress. So people say, oh, I've got COVID hair loss. Well, yes, you do, but it happened because your body wasn't in a sufficient state to start with. So a lot of these deficiencies that you're talking about can be addressed with simple lifestyle changes? I'm always food first. <laughs> I really go after the food, and I know that's a whole other topic of how much our food has changed, but the, the, probably the biggest job I have with my clients is teaching them what is real food and what what is actually in the supermarket. So one is, is learning about where, what food has these things. Like you can get vitamin D from food as well. So I say get your safe sun, protect yourself, but let's look at um, some really good quality organic eggs contain vitamin D, but they also have B12. Yay, I love eggs. They're a powerhouse. Fish, wild-caught fish, if the fish is out there in the ocean eating its things, then it will have vitamin D. It has protein as well. Uh, iron deficiency, ferritin deficiency are other huge, huge things for women. And I guess I just want to correct myself there. It's not just deficiency, it's low levels as well. Okay, so if we talk about, say, ferritin, ferritin is the storage of our iron. Now, as women, we generally always have low iron, okay, but it's the ferritin is the tank, it's the storage. Now, the ferritin range is 30 to 300. Okay, but if you're at 35, you're deemed fine. But for normal hair growth and health, it's 70 to 100. Wow. So, so what, where, where am I going to find those sorts of things? If you go annually, and I encourage women above 40 to annually go for just a health check, check your um, blood sugar, okay, we're looking for prediabetes, uh, check your cholesterol, check your vitamin D, B12, Iron studies, they do chemistry, they do hematology. It's just a basic general test once a year and you look at the levels, okay? But you learn that not the bottom levels, what are the sufficiency, okay? So I work with sufficiency, not just deficiency. Okay. If you find a perimenopausal woman who's deficient or not sufficient, she's going to have all sorts of symptoms and hair is only one of them. So we're talking about, so far, vitamin D, vitamin B12, ferritin. Or iron studies. So you've got iron from what you eat. It's a complex little thing to get into the tank, which is the ferritin, yeah. Okay, right. So if I was to come to you talking about having perimenopausal hair loss, you've talked about looking at fish, eggs, um, what other things would you be urging me to change and address? 
So firstly, I'd be looking at your blood work to make to see where you're at, okay? And then we would use a microscope to really see, is it this pattern thinning? Is it the female pattern thinning? You know, it's postmenopausal as well. It happens a lot. And again, that's where the doctors say, oh, well, it's age. It's, it's age hair loss. Like, no, it's not hair loss, it's hair thinning. And it's not age, it's the hormonal change that triggered it on top of genetic factors. So don't, again, let anyone tell you that hair loss or hair thinning is age-related. I think I mentioned to you, I've got clients in their 80s and 90s with fabulous hair. <laughs> they should be proud. Um, so I always use a microscope to look at the hair cycle. So is the hair actually growing properly to its genetic hair type to start with? And we look at the back of the head. Now, in medicine, they don't look at that. You know, dermatology don't. They just look, oh, well, you've got female pattern thinning, you know, here's, here's a medication. And you're like, well, no, you're not looking at the underlying cause. My key is the underlying cause. So is it growing properly? So we use the microscope at the back of the head to deem your genetic hair type. Then if we look at the front, we can see has it changed. Now, just say we do find, unfortunately, this female pattern thinning, back to the food, the first thing I would remove is hormones in our food. So pattern thinning is caused by hereditary factors, hormonal factors, our hormones, okay, but then there's environmental factors that come in and contributing and this thing called the free radical effect. Okay, so I don't look at them as bad. I look at them, if you understand all of those factors, there's your treatment, there's your prevention. It's powerful. So when you talk about hormones in food, what are you referring to? Probably the biggest one is the animal proteins, okay? So a lot of women are low in iron and they're low in ferritin. So we need to use the animal proteins is the best source because it's what we call a complete protein. Okay, so let's say chicken, pick on chicken. If the chicken doesn't say hormone-free, it's not. Now, you know, I love cooking and I've been doing it for you know, a long time. The chicken breasts are double the size yes. of what they used to be, and there's a reason why. Okay, we've all seen snippets of this on TV, but it's a real thing. So I know in the, most of the supermarkets these days, they actually do label, and some of them have a green tray, and it actually stamped on top hormone-free. That's the one you want to choose. Okay. okay. It's a little bit more expensive. It doesn't have to be organic. I really don't like the word organic, even though I used it for eggs because eggs is another one. It's an animal protein. But if you get a free-range egg, that means the chicken had enough room to flap its wings. But what I'm looking for is what did the chicken eat? Okay, so if it didn't eat its natural diet, then there's your hormones again. Okay. Fish is another one. I use the word wild-caught. So if the fish are out in the ocean, yay, that's when they're getting all their nutrients. But these days, some of them are farmed. So I would really, I would look for specifically um, wild caught fish. Beef is another one. So we sort of all grew up knowing beef eat cows eat grass, right? Not anymore. Now you've got all these fancy dancy restaurants that they're saying they're, you know, grain finished you 90 days and all this sort of stuff. So the animal world, if they eat their natural diet, then we're getting the nutrients, the vitamins we spoke about before, but we're not getting the hormones as well. Okay. So if I was to make those changes to my diet, how quickly could I see the impact on my hair? Now, if it's hereditary factors and it happens on top of a hormonal change of menopause, 
So you may have to battle it in another way, okay? So we might need to use food. Sometimes I have to supplement. I do like supplements where required, but I would never, if someone won't work with food with me, I won't go supplements. Always food first. And then you fill in the gaps, I guess. The hair growth cycle you've referred to as, you know, it grows, it falls out, it grows again. You can see changes within about four months, yes, in that pattern? For, for hair growth, so say someone came to me and we diagnosed that they actually have diffuse hair thinning because they we identify they had low B12 or have low B12. So the hair actually isn't growing properly all over the scalp and they're post-menopause, let's say. So they've also got this pattern hair thinning and they had no idea about the hormones in the food. So we make the food changes and then we want to do a treatment to get the hair back into its cycle and protect against the pattern hair thinning. Now, I try and keep things really simple. So I just say, well, what if we change when you wash your hair into a treatment using topical antioxidants, things that are safe for the hair cycle but also protect against DHT? And we know some ingredients that grow hair. You know, it's what I do. Okay, so the time frame to change to see a difference is four months. Okay. If someone starts with me and they actually have hair loss when we start, it can take four months to stop the hair loss. I can't change something that's already been triggered, okay? But we can actually work on hair regrowth, which is you know, a big part of what people, that's what they want. You know, I'm more about you know, let's diagnose and get to the underlying cause, work on food. But people say, no, I want, I want my hair. Okay, I'll grow hair. So the time frame might be four months. But really, if it's, a, it's something that's happened for, like some people come to me and it's been going on for 10 years. So it's wow. going to take me more than four months to regain. And I guess the other thing is this pattern hair thinning related to DHT, it's a miniaturization. So it's like the DHT is squeezing, squeezing, squeezing around the hair bulb, cutting off the blood supply really, really, really slowly, gradually. And it's not hair loss. There's another key. So to reverse it, you need to chip it away. So every time we say to someone, well, would you, could you wash your hair? Maybe some people it's every second day because another thing that happens is they get a terribly oily scalp. So you've got hormonal changes which trigger the oil. You've got low vitamin D. So low vitamin D, like vitamin D is like an oil. It's a fat-soluble vitamin. So your body will produce more oil as a sign. Okay, so a lot of women will resonate with that. Yeah, that- and, and, and so consequently you wash your hair more often. Yes, so, but some people don't. So we, we have to also map you know, what suits you because we always get asked, so what's the right or wrong of how often I should wash my hair? Well, it's really up to you individually, okay, but also we use safe products so they're not going to do any damage. So I may do in, in a, an extreme treatment, I would say like every second day I'm going to ask you to wash your hair my way. We're going to clean the oil away. Women love that. And the people with the oily hair, if we teach them a thing like it's called scalp brush therapy, we use scalp cleansers. So, you know, we're so used to just washing our hair with shampoo and conditioner, which we absolutely need. If the hair is longer than 10 centimetres, you've got to look after the physical. Then there's a scalp cleanser, okay, so there's specific scalp cleansers. It's just like a facial cleanser, but it's for the scalp because the scalp skin is different. And when I show people their scalp under the microscope, they're on board with me. They're like, oh, that is so ugly. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's skin, right? 
So we choose the right cleanser for the scalp. So we clean the scalp and then we look after the hair as well. So it's just breaking apart the fact that scalp is skin and houses the hair follicle and the bulb, like it's where the hair grows from. So it's where I'm treating. Okay, so we clean the scalp so I can actually get through the scalp with a treatment that doesn't have harmful ingredients. So this is really taking me back into a loop when we said before, well, where, where do the hormones come from? We talked about food, but a lot of them coming in our personal care products as well. So we're probably all familiar with an ingredient called sodium lauryl sulfate. It's a nasty thing. And there's another common one as well called propylene glycol. But there's hundreds and hundreds of them. As quickly as we identify that they're harmful, they're what we call endocrine disruptors. Okay, now specifically for women, from when you get in the shower to when you leave the house and you've got full face makeup on, if you count how many products you've put on your skin, it can be 30. Now, if every one of those products has a level of a harmful ingredient that's an endocrine disruptor, so the endocrine system is our system that creates and makes hormones, okay, they get on your skin, they absorb in 80 seconds into your bloodstream and they're going to mimic your hormones. Okay, so we want to learn about our personal care products and use safe products. Okay, so the supermarket are full of safe products these days, but they're full of bad products as well. So you just need to identify. The next time you run out of something, look at a safe alternative. And it's not hard to learn about this and find about it. Like it's a real thing. It's good for your health. Mm. Now, we were speaking earlier about um, perimenopause. You've also touched on the fact that after menopause, hair is also an issue. Perhaps we can look at what changes are causing those problems well perimenopause you're not generally getting the thinning whereas postmenopause you can get the typical uh, pattern thinning because you may have hereditary factors and then you've got a natural hormonal change going on but the treatment is the same you know I can fight against hereditary factors if I have a healthy person I always say as long as I have an otherwise healthy individual we, we can battle this there's um, some products that I use that enhance the look and feel of your hair. You know, it's really important, like when you're doing treatments, that you make a woman's hair look better. Whereas there's a lot of products out there that are just awful and they make you greasy and sticky and, and what have you. You know, I've got to make you feel better whilst you're you're going through this. And I guess that key point, postmenopause again, don't let anyone tell you it's age. Yeah. At any age, you can fight this. Speaking of, you also think that doing certain habits like this, you can um, delay onset of grey hair? Yes. It's been an interesting one. I would never say I could delay or treat grey hair, but a side effect to a lot of those trials and studies and just my clients, I see that they either reverse the grey hairs. <laughs> wow. So, like, grey, hair goes grey because it's it's damaged. So let's look at the free radical thing. So, one, we haven't got great, great health. The um, hair is actually not growing to its genetic structure, so it's been a change at a cellular level, okay? And we need to have minerals. So this is another thing. So we talk about vitamins, but we don't talk about minerals. So the hair needs minerals. Like, for our human body, we need 60 to 80 essential minerals 
per day, every day, and it's meant to come from our food. So it comes from the soil, okay, and then the plant that grows out of the soil or the animal that eats the plant. You know, it's the chain. But the minerals aren't in the soil anymore because we're farming everything. Okay, so they put some minerals in to enhance the growth, which is fantastic, but it's only eight of the essential minerals. So I, I, I treat a lot of women with low iron, low ferritin, as I said, that's a mineral. So to support it, I can't just use an iron supplement. I would use the right type of iron, but I must come on with supporting minerals. So I use minerals as a supplement when needed. And then when you get back under the microscope, the grey hair reversed. That's amazing. Interesting. Yeah. It's fascinating for myself. You know, as I mentioned to you, I've got um, three sisters and I don't have that much grey hair. I mean, genetically... There's grey hair in my family. I don't know. I do practice what I preach, so I just assume <laughs> my clients aren't complaining about um, reversing uh, grey hair, but I do have some clients that have grey hair, and I'm like, well, I can't change that if it's genetics. So what would you prefer, grey hair or no hair? Yeah. They all choose the grey hair. Of course. <laughs> of course. Oh, Carolyn, you've given us a lot to think about and um, I'm off to the supermarket now to, uh, to look for some, some good organic and, uh, and healthy products. That's it for this episode. Um, we have a link in the show notes to Carolyn's hair clinic and if you're not in Brisbane, Carolyn also does consultations via Zoom. If you're interested in being part of Prevention's community of like-minded women, pick up a copy of the magazine and follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Meanwhile, thanks again for joining us and I look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now. Bye.